From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, Religion versus Science. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with Elaine Howard Eklund, Herbert S. Autry Chair in Social Sciences at Rice University. Let's join in. I'm Leith Anderson, President of the NAE, here today with Elaine Howard Eklund. Elaine is the Herbert S. Autry Chair in Social Science, Professor of Sociology, and Founding Director of the Religion and Public Life Program at Rice University, where she is also uh, a Rice Scholar at the Baker Institute for Public Policy. One of her main research interests is the intersection of science and religion. Elaine has authored dozens of research articles and four books, including the new book, a religion versus science, what religious people really think. Elaine has received grants from the National Science Foundation, the Russell Sage Foundation, John Templeton Foundation, Templeton World Charity Foundation, uh, and the Society for the Scientific Study of Religion. And her research has been cited just thousands of times by local, national, international media. I got to know Elaine when we collaborated together on a project between the NAE and the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Her research is fascinating, and I had an opportunity to read her book in advance and was delighted. And so I'm delighted to have her here on the NAE podcast and looking to this, forward to this for a long time, this conversation. So thanks for joining us, Elaine. Thank you, Lise, for having me. It's a real privilege to be here. So I got to start with the very beginning. How did you first get interested in this whole subject matter of uh, studying religious people's perception of science? Well, I am a sociologist and sociologists study people. So our research subjects talk back to us. So my, my husband, for example, is a particle physicist. He studies particles and we would think it was odd if, if his research subjects talked back to him. But because we study people, um, we have this privilege of kind of engaging in people's stories. So I can remember exactly when I first thought, gosh, I'd really like to know what religious people think about science. I was in a, a rural church, actually, um, in the farm country of upstate New York and at a Bible study where I was conducting interviews for another research project. And I met this woman who asked me what I did for my work. And I answered, I was a PhD student at Cornell University, and the woman responded, yuck, I wouldn't want my child to attend Cornell. And I was surprised. Most people think of Cornell, you know, Cornell's an Ivy League school as, as being, you know, a place they might want their child to get into and attend. And I kind of prodded a little bit. I thought, you know, perhaps she wanted her child to go to Harvard instead or something. And she said um, she didn't want her child to attend Cornell. Um, because she thought her child might be exposed to scientists who would take them away from their faith. And I just thought in that moment, how typical is this woman? How typical um, are her perceptions of the scientific community? Do all Christians or maybe even religious people in general think that scientists are kind of out to eat uh, young children for lunch when, as soon as they enter university? And uh, my co-author, Christopher Scheidel, on this book, I think has had similar personal encounters. He talks about you know, meeting a woman on a plane and dis uh, a woman disclosing to him that she was a Christian and was very concerned about um, you know, getting a PhD in biology because she was concerned 
about what that might do to her, her faith. And so as social scientists, we started to kind of wonder, you know, how typical these experiences are. So your new book, um, Religion Versus Science, it, it covers a scientific survey of over 10,000 Americans. I, I just want to pause there and say 10,000 is an extraordinary number. I was just listening to the news today, and there was a national news story, and sort of at the very end, they said that the number of people that have been surveyed was 138 of, of the United <laughs> States. And I thought, wow, that's a small sample. And Elaine, you surveyed 10,000 Americans on how they, religious and not, view science. So out of all of this information, what surprised you? That's a good question. So we did do the, the surveys, and it took quite a long time. We also did um, in-depth interviews, face-to-face -face conversations with people, too, and we visited congregations. So the project took us you know, just a couple of years just to collect the data. So on the one hand, I was very surprised at how science friendly people of faith are. So I was really surprised by that. I think I too had bought into some things that I'd heard, you know, in the media and it, sometimes the the loudest voices, right, get the get the air and we start to think that the loudest voices are typical of a very large group of people. So evangelical Christians, mainline Christians, Catholics, Muslims, they all love science. <laughs> you know, we, we ask questions on our survey like, you know, would you be okay if your child married a scientist? And that's a kind of question social scientists use to judge things like social distance. You, you generally don't want someone part of your family if you don't like their group, for example. So we found that on one hand, people of faith are very friendly to science. But on the other hand, there are some questions that we asked in our survey that really do seem to tap into the larger differences that people assume you'll find when talking about religion and science, why we perceive that there's some contention there. So we asked a question, for instance, about whether scientists should consider miracles in their explanations. And here you find pretty big gaps between evangelicals and other religious groups and also the non-religious. So for example, um, evangelical Christians 60% agree that scientists should be open to considering miracles. So it's on questions like that where you maybe see some fundamental difference in assumptions about how science should work or, or does work. All right, so bearing down this a little bit, in, in the book, uh, Religion Versus Science, you say that there are two fundamental questions that inform how religious Americans approach science. So talk a little bit more about these. So when we analyzed the survey and the interview data, we started to realize that the areas where there are tension, so as I said, there's a lot of areas where there aren't tension, and I think that's really important to point out to our listeners, but the areas where there are tension tend to coalesce around two, two questions. So for example, the issue of miracles and whether, whether miracles should be part of science is really an extension of one of those questions, which is what is the role of God in the world and in our lives. So what is the role of God in the world and in our lives? Um, many evangelicals and to a lexic extent, really individuals in other religious groups, we found this amongst Catholics and Muslims as well, start with the principle that God is an active agent and, you know, in the world, in history, in nature. Um, so for most religious people, any opposition, for example, that they might express to evolution seems to be coming from this fundamental issue, that they don't think science, when um, it advocates for um, an evolutionary explanation for the development of life on Earth, 
um, they fear that perhaps God is being removed from the equation. And not, not unrelated, the second fundamental question relates to the nature and status of hum humanity. So the two questions really, who is God and um, who are people? Um, many, many evangelical Christians um, and, and other groups view humans as special, as sacred, as uh, created in the image of God. And science or applications of science, I would say too, applications of science and technology that appear to ignore or to violate this status, the status of the sacredness of human beings, um, can generate fears and opposition um, to those kinds of science or applications of science. I think it's really helpful for us to understand if we're concerned about dialogue at all or concerned about reaching any kind of common ground, just what is driving any tensions that exist between science um, or scientists and people of faith. Elaine, as you describe this, it, it sounds to me like religious people, evangelicals and others, are, are really trying to integrate religion and science rather than keep them separate sort of on parallel tracks or sort of a bifurcation. Is that right? That's right. That's right. Um, and that our survey data, if I may, points that out, I think, pretty powerfully. So a minority of Americans um, view religion and science as in a conflict relationship. And it is true um, for, for our evangelical listeners that evangelicals are the most likely to pick the, the pro-conflict position. So um, about 20% of them do. But they're also the most likely to pick a collaboration position. So evangelical Christians are the most likely of any religious group of, of secular groups um, to pick the idea that there should be a collaboration between religion and science. So a little less than 50% of them think that there could be collaboration. What this means exactly, I think, is probably complicated. Um, I hate to say that. I want to give a really neat soundbite here. Um, but how collaboration works out, I think, when we get into the interviews with people, became a little bit more complex. So if um, evangelicals think that miracles should be part of science, some in the science community might have a, a problem with that. But yet evangelicals might indeed think of that as collaboration. Um, but it also might look like scientists and communities of faith working together and bringing their different perspectives or their similar perspectives to the table when discussing issues like ethics. You know, if science doesn't contain within itself the ability to know how to apply science, perhaps other kinds of knowledge um, can bring something to that sort of discussion. And, and evangelicals seem to mean that as well when they're, when they're thinking about collaboration. At the NAE, we do a monthly evangelical leader survey. So this is comparatively small, and admittedly, it's a subset of evangelicals, but, but it is significant leaders across the country. So in one of our survey questions, we asked evangelical leaders to what extent they agreed with this statement. Sometimes I have to choose between the teachings of my evangelical faith and scientific findings. Mm -hmm. Now, in response to our asking that question of leaders, 70% disagreed with the statement. Uh, 30% strongly disagreed. And you asked sort of a similar question like that to all Americans. And so on the broader scope, um, what did you find? Do religious people, do they think that science and faith are compatible or incompatible? The short answer is that they think that they're compatible, except <laughs> they think that they're compatible, except um, when science seems to be saying something that 
um, violates, um, in our case, Christian notions of who God is or who human beings are. And even then, when we got into people's homes and into their churches and mosques and we started interviewing them, we saw people wrestling with how to integrate these things. And I think if we're, um, for people, say pastoral leaders who are about integration, that should be encouraging. There seems to be a kind of reception there um, to the possibility of integration. Um, evangelical Protestants do agree, a large minority of them, so about um, 34% leads, do think that scientists are hostile to religion. So that shows the need for uh, the science community perhaps to reach out to uh, religious communities and maybe evangelical Christians in particular. And hopefully our listeners know that there are certainly scientists who are themselves persons of faith. Some other work that I've done shows that pretty powerfully. And so there are people within the scientific community who have some capacity to really be ambassadors um, in these kinds of issues. So whether it's a Bible study in upstate New York or um, a seatmate on an airplane talking about all of this, it, it seems that there's a pretty substantial and ongoing myth that r religious people just don't like science. And um, to me, it, it seems that what I most often heard is that that's attributed either to the Scopes trial in 1925 or somebody's got a story about a high school science teacher or a college professor, and somehow that anecdote takes on a whole expansive life of its own. So where did these myths get started? I think a quick answer is that conflict sells. So a radical collaboration doesn't sell as well. But I think we need to, to persist. So in its best form, social scientific research can um, help us come more humbly to these kind of conflicts and say, gosh, there's some stereotypes that this group has about this other group. And if we could use research to break down those stereotypes, we might be able to work together for the common good a little bit more effectively. And so it, it does seem like these, these historical cases that particular kinds of media reports, um, what we call overgeneralization from a few loud voices, meaning that people who write popular um, books, people who are likely to be quoted who are especially angry, um, make the rest of the world believe that the group of people who think that there's a conflict is much larger than it really is. So those are some of the things I think that lead us to the place of conflict. And for me as a researcher and those of us who um, work in pastoral ministry or have other kinds of public roles, I think that makes our job especially more challenging. But there's a lot of potential there when we see these data um, that people, I think, are ready to receive a different story and a truer story. This may sound a little bit like a commercial break, but let me just say that the National Association of Evangelicals has a publication entitled When God and Science Meet, and it includes 10 essays on the interaction of faith and science. And at the end of the program, I'm going to share a promo code so people can get a free copy of it. But for, for right now, before we get to that, uh, how do evangelicals in particular. Tell us more. You've told some, but evangelicals in particular, how do they, how do we view science? And not just science, but scientists. Um, we are, as, as evangelicals, um, 
an evangelical Christian seem to think that scientists are hostile to them. And interestingly, our survey also included a group of evangelicals who are themselves scientists. And so that group is even doubly more likely to think that um, scientists are in general hostile um, to evangelical Christians or to persons of faith even more broadly. And I think, again, this is a problem of overgeneralization. So um, books like uh, Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion and other um, books written from a like mindset um, make the New York Times bestseller list. These are very popular, and it can start to feel like someone who has a loud voice um, has the majority view that there's a that really all scientists are like that, and I think that's dangerous. Um, scientists are is science is very important to our society. Um, it also, we find from our survey that um, religious people think that science itself has a great capacity to do good in the world, and so then it's dangerous to believe that scientists are against religious people if they're really not, and so. My co-author, Chris Scheidel, and I um, advocate that one thing we might do with these data is use the data to start better discussions and to try to see if there's some common issues, um, like using science to alleviate poverty, to take care of the earth. There's some common kinds of issues that the science community and faith communities can really, really get on board with one another. I want to pick up on just a phrase that you mentioned. You talked about talking to a group of evangelical scientists. So that means that there are evangelical scientists, but we sometimes hear that scientists just aren't religious people. And obviously you're saying that that's not true. In fact, some of your readers may be surprised to hear that there are, I don't know, something like a couple of million evangelical scientists in the United States. So what's that all about? And, and then if you can be specific, so who are notable evangelical scientists in America? So there are evangelical scientists, and if you put together um, people who work in all types of science, you're exactly right, Lee, that there's about, um, there's over two million really um, just in the U.S. They tend to be concentrated in like research and development positions for corporations, they tend to be less concentrated in elite research universities. So that's something to point out. They also sometimes, when we've done research with scientists themselves who are Christians, they sometimes feel like they um, don't want to, for whatever reason, talk publicly about being a Christian in the science community. And they don't feel like they want to talk publicly about being a scientist in their faith community or in their church. And so they feel a bit silenced. They face a kind of double marginalization. And I think that is, a, is problematic. So people in a church, they may be sitting next to a scientist in the pew and not even know that this person is a scientist. And so that makes it hard for people in congregations to then uh, talk to scientists and find out that they're real people and that they share the same kinds of struggles as other people. So one thing I'm encouraging is just that scientists who are persons of faith uh, start to feel a little bit more comfortable talking um, about that. And it helps if there are those who are um, among the elite who are scientists and who are evangelicals because in some ways that facilitates the conversation, does it not? It does. If you get, um, I mean, of course, uh, 
uh, Francis Collins has is, is been widely cited. He's the director of the National Institutes of Health and the author of The Language of God. But you do also find other scientists who are uh, working at places like Harvard and University of Wisconsin and University of California and Princeton and um, very prestigious um, state universities who are out there, they're doing good work and as scientists and are well respected in their guild. And if there are opportunities for them to share in their churches, for example, that can have a really powerful impact on lessening stereotypes that church people have you know, of the scientific community. So far, this has really been very encouraging and indicative of um, collaboration and similarity, but let's talk about the other side of it. Typically, the origin of the Earth is thought of as kind of a two-sided issue. You either believe in evolution or you believe in creationism. But actually, you found that it's more nuanced than that, that people's beliefs regarding the Earth's origin are not necessarily in just two different categories. Tell us more about that. So we did ask our respondents, our survey respondents, several different kinds of things on our survey. So most surveys have pretty limited options, like you believe in evolution or you believe in God. <laughs> so, so our survey um, offered several common narratives of the origin of the Earth and the development of life on Earth, ranging from a so-called young Earth narrative to a pure naturalistic evolutionary narrative that doesn't have room for God. And we also asked people to rate their level of certainty about each perspective. And we found that by doing this, that people are not actually strongly wedded to any particular narrative. So as we see in the data, people will even say that more than one narrative could be true. And many people aren't willing to commit to any of the narratives. We think that what might be going on here is that for most religious individuals, it doesn't actually matter that much how old the earth is or some other technical detail, that for them, and this is borne out in our in-depth interviews when we talk to people face-to-face, -face, that the primary question is whether a given narrative about the origins of the earth leaves room for there to be a role for God and for humans to have some sort of sacred status. And if the narrative allows for this, then people um, tend to be fine with whatever other details um, about evolution or not evolution. I think that's really important um, for scientists to understand when they're teaching about evolution to um, not overstate the claims such that they go into a theological discussion as well, if that makes sense. Um, now, Evangelicals were the most likely to say that the so-called young earth um, creationism narrative was the only narrative that was definitely true, but still that was only about a quarter of evangelicals. So the rest showed um, some flexibility um, and or uncertainty about the origins of the earth. And I think that breaks down some, some it, it just gives a little bit more nuanced discussion than I think some, some others have, have given. So make sure I'm getting this right. So among religious people, and particularly evangelical Christians, the, the greater issue is sort of the question, is God in it and is God there? And then the secondary question is how God is there in the origin of the earth. Is that, am I reading that right? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So um, 
the narratives that allowed for some active role for God and some sense that humans are special, um, evangelicals were, were likely to then be fine with attaching an evolutionary perspective or seeing these things alongside or integrated with one another. All right, so let's switch the topic from uh, origin of the earth to issues like environmental care, beliefs about climate change. Uh, how do religious beliefs and religious affiliations uh, inform these attitudes? Mm, so right from one, one controversy to the next. Yeah, right. um, so on one hand, um, evangelicals are actually the least likely group to say that the climate is changing and humans are a significant cause of that change. So, but they are the, also the most likely to say that the climate is not changing at all. So there's this one sense that there is some suspicion amongst evangelicals about climate change. But I think I would be remiss if I didn't point out to the listeners that the group of evangelicals who think that the climate is not changing at all is, is quite small. So about 10%. The majority of evangelicals, about 70%, accept that the climate is changing and humans have at least some role in it. And you know, there's something we can do to perhaps alleviate it. Um, and this is where more complicated, I won't, I won't bore your listeners with, with a great amount of statistical detail, but when you do more complicated analyses, you do find out that some of the initial patterns about resistance um, to um, acceptance of climate change are more a function of politics than faith. And I think that's important that um, compared to something like evolution even, that religion actually is a relatively weak predictor of climate change attitudes and that it's politics, um, um, commitment to a particular political ideology, which is really the driver on climate change in particular. And we found when we, and this is not just talking about climate change lease, but really the environment in general, we found when we visited um, congregations and when we did other, we asked other kinds of questions on our survey, that people often use a church as a taking off point for creation care efforts, that churches have the capacity to uh, teach people how to live differently, to, to give people some environmental friendly practices, which can have a, a lasting impact. This is a big category, and that is what about uh, reproductive technologies? And there's so many technical aspects of the so, so many nuances, but uh, are there some, you know, overview ideas of what you discovered when it comes to uh, issues of human reproduction? Yeah, yeah. In general, um, Americans, whether they're persons of faith or not, tend to like the idea of using biomedical technologies to help cure disease. And they tend to really dislike the idea of engineering super babies. So what we would call kind of the, the preference technology, some of which um, don't exist in reality, but seem to be on the horizon, like choosing um, particular kinds of genetic propensities, intelligence, um, eye color, <laughs> other kinds of things. So um, the pattern of responses to these two different types of goals, whether you're using human genetic reproductive technologies to, to um, alleviate disease or using to preference a certain type of child. Um, these two types of goals are pretty similar that, you know, pretty much everyone uh, is, is friendly to the idea of disease alleviation and not so friendly to the idea of what's colloquially been called super babies, whether you're religious or not religious. 
However, when you do see some larger differences when it comes to how we cure diseases, um, specifically evangelical Christians, but other religious groups too, um, are more likely to balk at the idea of destroying human embryos for the sake of curing diseases. So they're much more likely to be resistant to um, human embryonic stem cell research. And again, I think that you see this getting at one of our core questions that um, people of faith and evangelicals in particular are asking questions, challenging questions about the sacredness of humanity here. And these are issues which they really think the science community uh, needs to wrestle with. So. And the science community also has ethicists who are dealing with very difficult, challenging issues and seeking to give them advice. And I, you know, I hope that advice includes uh, theological and, and religious perspectives. Okay, so let's talk about technology. That's even a broader category. Um, are, are evangelicals hesitant about these kinds of technologies? And what about other technologies? Is there any difference? Well, evangelicals use their smartphones as much as anyone else. So, <laughs> so, so that's um, that's one kind of, someone needs to do a lot more study of that topic of um, social media technologies and faith, but um, that's for a different, a different, uh, a different show. But um, evangelical Christians are not Luddites. Um, they are very interested in technology and they tend to um, really only get concerned when we start uh, getting to these beginning of life and end of life kinds of issues and technology, uh, scientific technology appears to be overstepping its bounds. So the phrase playing God uh, came up a lot um, amongst the evangelical Christians that we interviewed and surveyed for our study. And there is also the sense that the the sacredness of humanity and even particular uh, Christian moral perspectives. There's a concern that these perspectives aren't being brought to the table of ethics when we think about the ethical application of science. And I, from other work that, that I've done, Leith, where I've interviewed and surveyed scientists themselves, I would say that in the science community, one issue where they are actually quite open to one particular area, rather, where they're quite open to hearing religious voices is around issues of ethics. I think there are, are scientists who are really struggling with how to think through the application of particular kinds of scientific technologies. And here's where um, both communities might perceive multiple voices as being helpful. Elaine, it's so easy to generalize in the, the broad uh, sweep of religious people, non-religious people, evangelical scientists. However, in your book, you also talk about subgroups. So uh, how much variation is there, and particularly among evangelicals, but in other categories as well, when it comes to education or age or income or geography? Are, are these significant in considering what views are in religion and science? Thank you, Lise. That's a, a wonderful social science question to ask. <laughs> That's our bread and butter. Um, education is important. This is perhaps somewhat obvious um, to your listeners, but um, here's where I think it, it's kind of interesting is that education tends to be a, a strong predictor of attitudes um, towards science, but it's not everything. So um, 
and and education actually religious groups there there are many highly educated religious people so i would i would want to your listeners to know that as well i think that's that's well shown in other social scientific work so evangelical christians who are highly educated are still um raising questions especially when we get to the reproductive technology issues so that's where i think um faith perspective uh, even, I don't think wins out is the right kind of phrase, but faith perspective becomes especially salient when it comes to what is perceived as ethical applications of science, even amongst um, highly educated people. So they're not just uh, uniformly pro-science uh, pro in terms of no constraints on science, if that makes sense. People who are highly educated are, are more likely to know scientists and just have more exposure to science. So I think that's really important as well, um, another way of thinking about education. Um, political perspective is another demographic, which I think I mentioned before, and it's really important. I think we, we get a lot of stereotyping going when we start to merge political and religious groups inappropriately. It's important in good social science research to try to begin to separate out some of that and to see whether it's politics or religion, um, which is really driving a perspective. You have put an enormous amount of work into this, and your book is uh, is really skillful in terms of addressing the academic side and for the lay reader at the same time. So out of all of this, what do you hope is going to be the outcome. What, what do you hope all your work will do? That's a, a large but excellent question and one which I think about almost every day. So at the end of the day, I hope that people use this research to break down stereotypes and that it doesn't just stop there. That if we use research to humble the attitude that we might have um, towards another group, that we will be more likely to approach that group and ask the question, how can I collaborate in a way that benefits others? And so I think in the science and faith discussion that we're not just talking about abstract ideologies, we're talking about real groups of people. We're talking about people sitting in the pews, we're talking about scientists in the lab and people who um, are part of both communities. And so if our research um, helps those communities be able to approach each other um, with more intelligence, um, compassion, and humility, I think that, uh, that we will have done a good job. Our guest on today's conversation has been Elaine Howard Eklund. She is the Herbert S. Autry Chair in Social Science and Professor of Sociology at Rice University. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Elaine. And back to mentioned earlier, for a limited time, and just for listeners of this program, let me tell you how to get a free copy of NAE's publication called When God and Science Meet. It includes 10 essays about the intersection of faith and science. So the way to do this is go to nae.net slash store, nae.net slash store. And there you'll see the publication, and you can use the promo code SCIENCE. Just type it in and you'll get a free copy of When God and Science Meet. And again, very special thanks to Elaine Eckler. The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. 
To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.